Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skiophonic Podcast, the home of short stories for lifelong learners. Hi, guys. What is Skiophonic? Well, it's a huge collection of thought-provoking short stories. They're true. They're fun. And as it turns out, they just might make you more interesting. Skiophonic started out in the mind of an ER doctor looking for a way to learn while exercising. He was creative and full of ideas, but his voice was not well-suited for narration. So he teamed up with the latest AI tech and formed a collaboration that has blossomed into an audiobook, a mobile app, and this podcast. You know, whatever the platform, these stories are the perfect way to fill those free gaps of time in your schedule with content that is both interesting and productive. So thanks for joining us, and please check out the website. That's www.skiophonic.com or download the app on Apple or Google Play stores. Great. Now let's see what stories are lined up for us today. Andrew? Hi, guys. Thanks for listening once again. Okay, take a seat at your desk and pull out your textbook, because this episode is called Hardcore History, and we're about to take a deep dive into some stories and events that have shaped our world. Don't worry, there's no quiz at the end. Please enjoy the sounds of Skiophonic. Black Hand. Here's a story about two young men, Gavrilo Princip and Nadezhko Kabrinovich, who with their actions as mere teenagers, managed to spark a flame that would consume the entire world. To begin we should start with some historical context. These boys were born in Bosnia and Herzegovina in the late 1800s, and it was difficult times for the working class in this part of the world. Known as the Balkan Peninsula, this region includes the nearby countries of Serbia, Croatia, and Montenegro but even extends as far as Greece and Turkey. The area was undergoing a rough transition from being ruled by the Ottoman Empire to control by the new Austro-Hungarian Empire. To complicate matters, countries like Russia and Italy were trying to make power grabs as well, attempting to exert their own regional control. It seemed to the people of the Balkans that rules and governance were constantly changing and resentment began to grow. Searching for a cause greater than themselves and armed with a desire to unite the countries of the region, the two boys migrated to the buzzing city of Sarajevo. Here they found belonging and a community of kindred spirits that would help propel their ideologies from aspirational to the extreme. It was in Sarajevo where they joined a secret organization ominously known as the Black Hand. In 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne, planned a visit to Sarajevo. His mission was twofold first to observe military maneuvers, but secondly and most importantly, to attempt to win the hearts and minds of his newly subjugated people. He chose to ride through the city with his wife in an open-top car, an audacious move given the swirling winds of nationalist rebellion. Advisors whispered words of warning, citing credible threats to his life. But the Archduke, emboldened with a sense of imperial invulnerability, pressed on. This created the opportunity. Eight members of the Black Hand decided that Ferdinand's visit was their chance to change history. They studied the parade route, marking out the exact locations where they could strike. The first act in this drama unfolded as Kabrinovich hurled a hand grenade toward the Archduke's car. Quick reflexes from the chauffeur accelerated the vehicle just in time, causing the grenade to miss its mark and detonate, injuring bystanders along the road. Shaken but unharmed, Ferdinand ordered the motorcade to proceed to the city hall for the scheduled reception. To avoid capture in prison, Kabrinovich made the decision to swallow what he believed was a lethal dose of cyanide, 
but the tablet was outdated, leaving him to vomit and writhe in pain, but very much alive to be arrested by authorities. Princip, also disappointed by the morning's failure, retreated to a nearby cafe. The Archduke finished his scheduled activities, but then decided to change his plans and visit the local hospital where the people injured in the earlier attack were being treated. En route, his driver got lost and stalled the car. And where did this fateful stop occur? Well, it turns out they were directly in front of the very cafe where Gavrilo Princip was sitting. As if fate had offered him a second chance at history, Princip stood, pistol in hand, and approached the car. Two shots rang out. The Archduke and his wife Sophie were fatally struck. The scene quickly spiraled into chaos as the assassin was wrestled to the ground. Princip and Kabrinovich were both sentenced to 20 years in prison for the murders. Their young age prevented them from receiving the death penalty. However, both did die within a few years of their incarceration, complications of malnutrition and tuberculosis. The assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand ignited a powder keg of long-standing political and military tensions in Europe. Quickly countries like Germany, Russia, France and Britain chose sides, and the discord rapidly escalated, leading to the beginning of World War I, a conflict that would leave 16 million dead and an entire generation scarred. In a singular act, Two bullets fired in Sarajevo reverberated through the annals of history, proving that individual actions, catalyzed by ideology and fate, can indeed set the world ablaze. The Transatlantic Cable in the early 19th century, communication from America to Europe was limited. It essentially involved writing out a message, placing it aboard a ship which would then begin its 10-day journey across the Atlantic Ocean, painstakingly slow and inefficient. A better method was needed, but who would step up to the plate? Cyrus Westfield. A wealthy New York paper manufacturer, Field is widely credited as the driving force behind the transatlantic cable. In 1854, he founded the Atlantic Telegraph Company with the vision of connecting North America and Europe via a telegraph line stretching across the Atlantic seabed. The initial attempts to lay the cable in 1857 and 1858 were fraught with difficulties, including technical challenges, the cable breaking and falling to the ocean floor, and unreliable messages when the cable did work. Despite these failures, Field remained undeterred, raising more funding and addressing the technical issues. In 1858, after many trials and tribulations, a cable was successfully laid between Ireland and Newfoundland. Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom and President James Buchanan of the United States exchanged congratulatory messages, marking the first transatlantic communication. However, the success was short-lived. The signal quality rapidly degraded and the cable stopped functioning after just a few weeks. Undaunted, Field commenced work on a new, more robust cable with the help of a British physicist and engineer who introduced more efficient signal transmission techniques and better cable insulation. In 1866, after nearly a decade of effort, the Great Eastern, the largest ship then in existence, successfully laid a fully functional transatlantic cable. The impact was immense. It brought people on both sides of the Atlantic closer together, allowing for near-instantaneous communication that was previously unthinkable. News, business transactions, and personal messages could now be exchanged with remarkable speed, 
transforming the way information was shared and shaping the course of global events. Over the years, advancements in technology and engineering led to the laying of multiple transatlantic cables, each more advanced than the last. Did the cables ever experience sabotage and spying? You bet. In both World War I and World War II, the British successfully either cut or tapped into German cables, intercepting telegrams sent from German spies in New York. Today, fiber-optic cables transmit vast amounts of data at incredible speeds. But isn't digital data just beamed around the world via satellites, you may wonder? Not so. Undersea cables still carry the majority of the world's internet and telephone communications. An international law was adopted in 1982, which protects undersea cables, unless a state of war exists. The transatlantic cable stands as a testament to human ingenuity, perseverance, and the desire to connect the world. It forever transformed the way we communicate and paved the way for future innovations in global connectivity. Race to the South Pole Allow me to tell you the story of two daring explorers, Amundsen and Scott. It unfolds in the icy wilderness of Antarctica because, you see, both of these men wanted to be the first human ever to venture to the South Pole. However, while their goal was the same, their strategies and preparation for this endeavor differed quite a bit, and as it turned out, so did the outcome. Roald Amundsen, a Norwegian explorer, was initially planning an expedition to the North Pole, but when he heard that it had been reached in 1909, he quickly shifted his focus to the south. Amundsen was a master of polar travel, known for his meticulous planning and respect for the harsh environments he ventured into. Robert Falcon Scott was a British Royal Navy officer and explorer who had previously led an expedition to the Antarctic known as the Discovery Expedition. Despite failing to reach the South Pole, Scott was celebrated as a national hero upon his return and was eager to make another attempt. His approach to exploration was more in line with the British tradition, emphasizing military rigor and scientific inquiry over mere adventure. The stage was set for an epic race. Amundsen's strategy was one of simplicity and efficiency. He studied the survival techniques of the Inuit people, using sled dogs for transportation and fur clothing for warmth. His team set out in October of 1911 with a clear strategy, a straight shot to the pole using a single, well-supplied route. Scott, on the other hand, had a more complex plan. His team, which set out a few weeks after Amundsen's, relied on motor sledges, ponies and dogs for transportation. However, the motor sledges quickly broke down, the ponies couldn't cope with the harsh conditions and died, and the dogs couldn't handle the weight of the heavy equipment and were sent back early. The men were left to haul their heavy supplies on foot. The contrast in their strategies became evident as the race progressed. Amundsen and his team reached the South Pole on December 14, 1911, using skis and dog sleds to conquer the icy terrain. They planted the Norwegian flag, took the necessary observations and quickly began their return journey. Scott's team, battling poor weather and dwindling supplies, arrived at the Pole five weeks later, on January 17th. The sight of the Norwegian flag fluttering in the Antarctic wind was a crushing blow. 
Demoralized, they began their return journey, but Scott and his four companions had exhausted all of their energy and resources reaching the pole. Tragically, they all died, their bodies found frozen beside the trail leading home. The race to the South Pole is a tale of triumph and tragedy, a stark reminder of the brutal power of nature, the importance of preparation and adaptability, and the cost of discovery. Their race remains one of the most dramatic chapters in the annals of exploration. The Silk Road What was responsible for introducing elephants to Europe and oranges to China? And what was the world's first superhighway traveled by the likes of Marco Polo and Genghis Khan? The answer is, of course, the Silk Road. This is how ancient civilizations, separated by vast terrains and turbulent seas, learned about each other's existence. Stretching over 4,000 miles, the Silk Road connected China to the Mediterranean, traversing arid deserts, towering mountain ranges, and vast grasslands. For centuries, from roughly 120 BC until 1800 AD, it was the transcontinental highway of its time, facilitating not just trade, but a phenomenal cultural, religious, and technological exchange. Yes, there was silk, a luxury product deeply coveted by the wealthy classes of Rome. But the Silk Road carried much, much more. From the east came paper, gunpowder, porcelain, spices, and precious gems. From the west, travelers brought horses, woolen goods, gold, silver, and dazzling glasswork. It was a veritable Amazon delivery system of the ancient world. How did the merchants haul their hefty wares? Well, camels were the primary means of transport along the Silk Road, due to their ability to endure long journeys in arid regions. The Silk Road was not without risks, however. Travelers faced challenges such as bandits, extreme weather conditions, and political instability. Roadside inns were established along the way called caravanserais to provide accommodations, resting places, and protection for traders and their goods. The Silk Road was a highway for innovation, too. Papermaking technology journeyed from China to the Middle East and then to Europe, spawning a new era of documentation and literature. The road was also a fertile corridor for cultural and religious interchange. Buddhism, for example, spread from India to China via these routes, whereas the teachings of Islam and Christianity traveled eastward from the Arabian Peninsula, finding homes in China and Central Asian countries. Through wars and conflicts, dynasties and empires, the Silk Road persisted and allowed a continual pipeline for the sharing of goods, ideas, science and technology all while fostering a sense of mutual understanding between the East and the West. It wasn't until the fall of the Mongol Empire and the rise of maritime trade routes in the 15th century that the significance of the Silk Road began to fade. In recent years, there has been a revival of interest in this highway, with efforts to preserve and promote its historical and cultural heritage. Several UNESCO World Heritage Sites can now be visited along the original route, the multicultural exchange that the Silk Road nurtured continues to manifest in our fusion cuisines, mixed fashion trends, and blended technologies. In essence, it was an early prototype of globalization. So, the next time you marvel at the diverse options available at your fingertips, remember the Silk Road, the ancient trailblazer of global exchange.
without summer. Did you know that back in 1816, the world decided to skip summer? It's true. Imagine heading out to soak up some rays at the beach in June only to find it snowing. Well, unfortunately, the effects of this missed summer were much more profound and widespread. Put on a jacket and we'll head out to hear the story of the year without summer. The cause of this chilling disaster can be traced back to the island of Sumbawa in Indonesia. In April of 1815, Mount Tambora experienced one of the most powerful volcanic events in recorded history. This 14,000-foot-high peak erupted, spewing an astounding 38 cubic miles of debris into the atmosphere. The eruption lasted for over two weeks and whittled the mountain's height down to about 9,000 feet. A colossal cloud of volcanic ash enveloped the Earth, reaching even the stratosphere where it began deflecting the sun's rays, causing a slow drop in global temperatures. The repercussions were most heavily felt the next year. In New England, residents were shocked to see snow falling in June. Much of the United States and Canada experienced frost in the peak of summer, leading to a catastrophic loss of crops. Europe was not spared either. In the north of Italy, red snow fell throughout the year due to volcanic ash in the atmosphere. Incessant rains led to poor harvests, which in turn caused a scarcity of wheat and subsequent bread riots across the continent. Livestock, too, fell victim to the harsh conditions, dying from cold and starvation. The devastation was not confined to the Western world either. In China, the drop in temperature led to the famine of 1816, leaving over 71 million people in a state of starvation. India, too, experienced torrential rains and crop failures that aggravated the spread of cholera. However, amidst the gloom, there were a few unexpected outcomes. The bleak weather kept author Mary Shelley indoors during a summer vacation in Switzerland, reportedly inspiring her to write the iconic novel Frankenstein. In America, there were no oats to feed the horses. This caused the innovative citizens to explore alternative modes of transportation, leading to the invention of the bicycle. And in Vermont, the decimated crops caused farmer Joseph Smith to move his family to more fertile grounds in upstate New York. It was here where he claimed to have discovered the golden tablets and underwent his spiritual epiphany. So yes, a volcano in Indonesia may have inadvertently led to the formation of the Mormon church. Now here's an alarming fact. The year without a summer was associated with a global average temperature drop of a mere 1.4 degrees Fahrenheit. That's it. Yet it was enough to plunge the world into chaos. I think this story may serve as a powerful reminder of the devastating might of nature and that we are all, still, susceptible to its whims. The USS Maine In the final years of the 19th century, Cuba was languishing under Spain's colonial dominance and its people were striving for liberation. As stories of Spanish cruelties against Cubans infiltrated American consciousness, the U.S. became increasingly involved. In response, the USS Maine warship was dispatched to Havana Harbor as an assertive symbol of American power, with the mission to safeguard U.S. citizens. Yet the Maine's arrival served to escalate already simmering tensions between America and Spain. It was a quiet evening on February 15, 1898, in Havana Harbor, where the USS Maine lay moored. The spectacular battleship, measuring 319 feet long, was loaded with formidable weaponry and manned by a fearless crew. 
The main silhouette against Cuba's coastal skyline was a stark reminder of America's naval might. The serenity, however, was abruptly shattered when an explosion ripped through the vessel's hull. The once proud battleship was reduced to a vision of horrific destruction. The blast claimed over 260 lives, sinking the ship and sending shockwaves of dismay across the United States. The instant speculation pointed to Spanish sabotage, likely from an explosive mine or torpedo strike. American newspapers exploited the tragedy, stirring up public anger and demanding war with Spain. The battle cry, Remember the Maine, to hell with Spain, echoed in every American home, cementing anti-Spanish sentiment. The popular narrative of Spanish treachery drove the U.S. into the Spanish-American War. The conflict was brief, yet significant. It concluded with the U.S. annexing Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines, marking the dawn of the U.S.'s emergence as a global superpower. However, here's the ironic twist of this fateful event. Subsequent investigations indicated that the Maine's demise was likely accidental, due not to an attack, but to a coal bunker fire on board that detonated the ship's ammunition stores. Not an act of war, but a tragic mishap. The saga of the USS Maine underscores how isolated incidents can set off worldwide reverberations, realigning borders and reshaping nations. The story is more than just a historical anecdote. It's a potent reminder of the delicate web of global interconnectedness we navigate and the very fickle nature of history's twists and turns. Credits. The stories, content, and narration in this podcast were created with the assistance of large language models like Bard from Google AI, Anthropic's Claude AI Assistant, and GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 by OpenAI. The background music was Inspirational Cinematic Trailer by Tailkeeper Music and Motivational Guitars by Clementi Skripnikov both from Pond5 Productions found at www.pond5.com. The narrator voices were produced in conjunction with Eleven Lab Studios at www.elevenlabs.io. Special thanks goes to my wife, kids and friends who provided suggestions and input throughout the project and put up with my incessant story writing over the course of 2023. Thanks guys! The end.